Thank you, guys. Welcome those who have joined us there during those um, songs of worship. For the last few years, actually about six years, I've had a rhythm of reading the Bible throughout a year. And every morning, getting up and reading an Old Testament, um, a Psalm, a Proverb, a New Testament. And I was really fruitful, and I learned so much from it. I came to the end of last year, and I've been hinting at this in some of my talks recently, and if you were there, I spoke about just, I suppose, a little bit like Dillis, not, not a, a disconnect from God, but I felt there was, sometimes God draws away, so we push in, and that sense of feeling distant, but it's not that he is distant, it's more he wants us to chase and follow. And I went into this new year with a, a heart to simplify and a heart to actually, uh, as opposed to cram my mornings with loads of readings as good as they were, I decided to simplify my mornings with um, two things. The first was uh, reading the Psalms, just one Psalm in the morning, and that's it. And eating pie and cream in the Stella Diner in Rathmines. So, which I do most mornings. <laughs> And you can see that on Instagram, or you can see that in my waistline. Um, but I, I just started with the simplicity of reading one psalm and then journaling through that psalm. And we're going to look at a further section of Psalm 107 now. But I'd really encourage you in your own lives that the psalms are a treasure trove which can be lost uh, in our current uh, culture. The Psalms are a powerful way of understanding God and understanding ourselves in past, present, and future. And the Psalms were written, not quite sure uh, when they were written, but it seems they were written about the 7th century BC. And the reason why the Psalms are, are filled with such, I would say, gold and such uh, importance of places where we as broken humans can relate to and see the full economy of our brokenness in them is because they were pulled together as one book or pulled together as a collection. There was no books back then. They were pulled together as a collection when the children of Israel found themselves in exile and they found themselves removed from their home, and they found themselves separated from the temple, which was destroyed by the Babylonians, and they were all taken to Babylon. And they found themselves in exile. And they didn't know what to do. They didn't know who they were anymore. They didn't, without the temple, without this definition of God, they didn't know who they were meant to be. They didn't understand, and so, they decided to separate themselves from the culture they were in. They decided to build their cities outside of the Babylonian uh, center, central places where they lived, and they just excluded themselves. And God began to speak and say, this is not how I'm asking you to live. This, I'm asking you to get stuck in to the culture that you find yourself in. And he says, you know, seek the peace and prosperity of the city, he says in Jeremiah. He says, Get stuck in to where you are. It's not your home. 
It's not the place where uh, you are from, but it's a place that I'm calling you to love and get stuck into. And the Psalms, they began to gather the material they had left from the temple. These letters and poems and songs that David had written and others like Solomon, uh, other people like Ethan um, had written over the years, and they, they began to gather them and put them together. And they began to read them and look at them and digest them and distill them and learn about themselves in them. And they became um, an understanding of who they were in this place of exile and separation. And some psalms were even written in that time and some psalms were composed in that time. And that's why a lot of them are like, why is this happening and why are we in this place and why am I feeling so downcast and why am I so lonely? Because they're in a jock bag. <laughs> they're in a, a, a really hard place of, of separation. And it's one of the most honest types of literature in the Bible, the Psalms. There's nothing is, is, is kept out. Everything's in there, all brokenness. And David especially is so vulnerable. I don't think he knew they were going to be read by billions of people. But he, as a leader, was okay with his vulnerability and he was okay with writing the things down and encouraged the people when they were in Babylon, Babylon to love those around them, but also talk about their own brokenness. And in a way, we too are in exile. And what I mean by that is that our home, as Dilla said yesterday, is in this joint space between heaven and earth because of Greek philosophy, Roman philosophy, sorry, mostly, we separate these two things. But as Christians, we believe that we're already in the kingdom. We're already one foot in heaven. We have to journey through death, of course, each one of us. But the kingdom is now. Each one of you is in the kingdom. You're not waiting for a future time. You're right in it now. And what you're going through and what you're struggling with and what you're joyful about matters to God now. And it also matters to those around us. And so if we feel this sense of being in, in exile, we're not meant to exclude ourselves and wait for a future time when everything will be better. It's meant to be better now. And it's meant to be a, a progressive uh, advancement of the kingdom now. And the Psalms talk about the struggle of that, living in the now and the not yet, and in this future time, but yet to be lived out now. Just a couple of things on the psalm before I get into my section. The psalms are rooted um, in corporate solidarity as opposed to profound individualism. They're rooted in community. They're rooted in a sense of, I'm with you. I'm your brother and I'm your sister. They're not rooted in our, a culture that we find today that is so disparate. They're rooted in a, a sense of a group of people who have a profound uh, love for each other, not a profound sense of putting themselves in the center. Their community is so important to them. The Psalms were sung mostly, not said, and they were known by every Jew from a young age. And they were, they were learnt, they learnt them, they sung them, and they, they understood who they were through them. And this is why Jesus and Peter and Paul and James, um, they all quote the Psalms. The most quoted text in the New Testament, Isaiah is close, but the Psalms are so important, and they were Jews. For a Jewish person, the Psalms are like breathing. And I was talking to someone recently who is from a Jewish background, and they said, I breathed them 
all the time without thinking. And they learn them and recite them, but they're like, as opposed to a text to learn, they're like a breath, a way of understanding. The Psalms mold character. They work in and through us, and they equip us to live a life following after God. N.T. Wright, someone I, I really love, uh, he says, the Psalms shape our worldview. And a worldview is like a pair of glasses. My eyesight's just appalling at the moment. Uh, I really need new glasses, but the Psalms give us a worldview of who God is, and a worldview is like a pair of glasses. It's what we look through, not what we look at. Just hear that. It's what we look through, not what we look at, and how we view the world. And so when we see the world through the Psalms, we see a, a, a way of understanding God and ourselves and our brokenness and the things that we struggle with as being important to God and not things to run away from, things to grow in. And worldviews are complex. They consist of a swirling compilation of your stories, the symbols you've grown up with, the habits that you have, the questions that you struggle with, like who am I? Where are we? What's wrong? What's the solution? And the Psalms help us to give us God's worldview and help us answer these questions. And in them, before we go into the Psalm, it's really important to have this sense the Psalms are meant to speak to us today as much as they, spent, they spoke to that Jewish community. And this quote, I think, is very helpful in encouraging you to get stuck into the Psalms, maybe in your own personal walk. The Psalms are songs and poems that help us not just to understand God's worldview, but to actually live it, inhabit it, and celebrate it. This is a worldview where our time and God's time overlap and interlock, and where we see God's creation is infused and flooded with life love and glory. The Psalms are a steady, sustained subcurrent of healthy Christian living. They shaped the praying and vocation of Jesus himself. They can and will do the same for us. Every Psalm has a meta meaning, a collision of two worldviews, this communal worldview and this individualistic worldview, but also has micro points about God's character and how we are called to live out our lives of faith. They look back to the great moments in the past in order to frame the pain and puzzlement of the present within the hope that God will do it again in the future. And it's one of the only sections of the Bible where past, present, and future collide. And that's why they're so important. And Psalm 107 is a really important one of them. It's a really vital part, and it has all of these aspects of the Psalms coming together, past, present, and future. And in the middle of this Psalm, there is a story. And the story is meant to evoke our own imagination, and it's meant to ask ourselves some questions about our own worldview and our own relationship with God. And it's a metaphor, and it's in verses 23 to 30. 
I just want to read that out, if you have it there. <coughs> so think of the Psalms and think of the worldview and think of what they're encouraging us and how they're encouraging us to grow. And this story, which is a very common story in the Bible, which is like gold throughout all of Scripture in many parts. Some of us set sail upon the sea to faraway ports, transporting our goods from ship to shore. We were witnesses of God's power out in the ocean deep. We saw breathtaking wonders upon the high seas. When God spoke, he stirred up a storm, lifting high the waves with hurricane winds. Ships were tossed by swelling sea, rising to the sky, then dropping down to the depths, reeling like drunkards, spinning like tops. Reminds me of a rugby tour I was on once. <laughs> spinning like tops, everyone at their wits' end, until even sailors despaired of life, cringing in terror. There's the vulnerability, the honesty of how they were feeling. Then we cried out, Lord, help us, rescue us, and he did. God stilled the storm, he calmed the waves, and he hushed the hurricane winds to only a whisper. We were so relieved, so glad as he guided us safely to harbor in a quiet haven. Now this section of the psalm, and we'll spend some time reflecting on it in a few moments, this psalm, this image of trouble on the seas and God being our shelter is a repeated story in many aspects of the Bible. It's a very common image or a metaphor that the Bible is using to teach us something very important. And many of us with the Bible struggle, I think, most of us probably should struggle, but metaphor is a very important part of Scripture, especially the Psalms. And I think we've lost in our Western world the importance of metaphors like this and what they can teach us. I've been reading a book by Brian Zand. I think James recommended it to me, or Scott, I can't remember. I met Brian at Rubicon. And he talks about, uh, in a book called Beauty Will Save the World, the importance of, of metaphor and the importance of, of images like this. For the church to recover its purpose and its form of beauty, we need to employ the appropriate metaphors. For without the correct metaphor, we will inevitably have a wrong idea of our faith. We will be fueled by content, fueled by things which are totally objective, and we lose the shape of beauty and the importance of vulnerability that the Psalms bring us. In an increasingly technological society, awash with unimaginative prose of technical language, we can forget the power of metaphor that the Psalms speak to us about. Metaphors are important. There's a kind of magic in metaphor, and human beings have a natural genius for metaphor, but we've lost this and swapped it for structure and certainty. Metaphors give us a concrete way of imagining and communicating where otherwise may remain purely abstract and abstract ideas have a hard time of taking root in our lives. It's metaphor that awakens our imagination to beauty 
and to what God might be saying. And so this section of scripture, this idea of people having trouble on a sea, this idea of God being the shelter is repeated through scripture. We see it in Noah, we see it in Jonah, we see it in Paul, we see it in Jesus. Noah on the sea in the great boat. Jonah swallowed by the sea again in a boat on the sea. Paul in a shipwreck and Jesus in a storm. And in all of these, bringing it down to a personal level now, in all of these, there's a similar theme which is so important and what the psalmist is trying to say to the people in exile, to us here today, is that life will be stormy and things will happen. Sometimes even it'll seem God has stirred up the sea and we don't know why. But that's okay. We're meant to call out to God. We're meant to remember him in the storm. But in us, there are two things colliding here, which a lot of the Bible circles around. And one of them has been misused and one of them has been forgotten. There's two themes here of, of vulnerability and God's authority. Vulnerability and authority. There's been many churches that have leaned a lot on authority and power and dominance and wanting to be in control as opposed to being vulnerable and opposed to being like the people in this story who, as opposed to trying to control the sea and trying to do it themselves, were called to call out to God, rescue us, and he did. And this, this aspect, I'm not going to talk so much about authority. I want to talk about vulnerability. And I want to talk about this line of, they cried out, Lord, help us, rescue us. And he did. We see it in the life of Jonah. He did the same thing. He found himself in a storm. And he was afraid. And he was scared. He didn't know what was going to happen, but he again cried out to God. In front of all the sailors, in front of all those around him, he ended up being thrown into the sea, into the chaos, if you like. Or Paul, the same thing. He wasn't afraid to cry out in the storm. He wasn't afraid what people thought of him. He cried out in, in vulnerability. And I think this aspect of, of vulnerability is a very important part of something which is maybe lacking in our churches today. It's, a lot of it is about authority and power and, and control and not so much about vulnerability. And I want to speak a bit about vulnerability today and I want to be vulnerable with you so you can be vulnerable yourself and vulnerable with others. Depending on our upbringing, or depending how we've, we've grown or our relationship with God, vulnerability is seen oftentimes maybe as a weakness or is seen as foolish, sentimental, manipulative, stupid. But I think in the kingdom of God and in this passage, vulnerability and crying out is a very important part of seeing this idea 
of God being our shelter of the storm and the church being a shelter from the storm. And in my own life, as Dilla spoke and we felt that today was, and this weekend was about us being a bit vulnerable with you. In my own life, um, I've had, I, I was brought up in a, in a family which very much didn't talk about their emotions very much at all. And when they did, it was an explosion of emotions that was often used to garner pity or um, poor me or woe is me. And it was, it was used more as a, of a tool that wanted people to feel sorry for you as opposed to wanting to maybe grow um, in, in uh, your own personal way. And so because of that, I grew up in a household where you didn't really talk about your brokenness or you didn't really talk about if something was wrong. If you were in a storm, you just got stuck in and you just milled in and you just didn't cry out, ask anyone to rescue you, you, you just hit it. And over the years of growing in that family, um, vulnerability became a real weakness and it became something which you just didn't talk about and something which you hid. And people who were vulnerable were sentimental and stupid and manipulative. And it was never said, but it was in, inferred. And I, my mum's passed away. I love her and I love my dad deeply. Um, but vulnerability was something which wasn't really professed. And a few years ago, I, I was... Um, uh, I found myself at the kitchen table uh, when we lived in Drimna. And I'd been leading the church for about four or five years. And my mode of leadership was very much formed in being the strong one and being the one who, from my upbringing, was the one who had all the answers and the one who led from the front. And, and some of that is, is good in leadership. I was standing by the kitchen table, and to cut a, a long story short, I was standing there, and out of the blue, Tilla talked that she heard the audible voice of God. I, I've never um, heard the audible voice of God, but I had a sense. I was standing there, and I, it was a lovely sunny day, and the clouds just came across uh, the window, and I just, I just felt God say, I'm taking you into the storm to teach you what leadership is really about and what faith is really about. And I'd never really heard anything like that. I was like, what the heck is that? And I, I, the, the clouds and the day totally changed. And um, my life really actually changed uh, from that day. And, and it's hard for me to tell this story because of my upbringing. I'm like, what do you think? And, you know, am I being sentimental? I, I'm not. I'm trying to tell a story of, of, of vulnerability. And so from that day, my life just seemed to fall apart a bit. And I had to get two operations. Um, I, there was just stuff that happened and I developed a case called tinnitus, which I haven't spoken about publicly. So I have constant ringing in my ears like a fire alarm all the time. And you might not know that right, you know, and I'm, my, I'm not meant to talk much about it, but I, I'm constant high-pitched screeching every second, every day, 
uh, all the time. And I've learned for that to be something beautiful for me because for two years I didn't sleep, um, I wasn't eating, um, it was a very difficult place. I think I was probably depressed. And I went to, a, to talk to people about this. And it was only in the time when I, I cried out to God and I said, Lord, help me, rescue me, that I began to embrace the ringing and embrace the transition of offering myself to God when I couldn't control it, when I couldn't lead through it, when I couldn't stop it. It's very hard when you can't get away from something, it's always there. But now it sounds strange, it's become a gift to me um, because it brings me close to God and it reminds me that he's with me in the storm. And so I tell that story, um, I really felt, I've never talked about it publicly. I've, I have a few years ago mentioned it and when people ask me, do you still have it? I kind of back away and I, I haven't been able to talk about it. But I felt from my own story, and again, my upbringing, it's hard for me because I don't want it to be about me. I don't want it to be, I want it to be about us. And I want us to be a church that embraces brokenness and isn't afraid to talk about pain and isn't afraid to talk about the storm, isn't afraid to talk to other people about what's going on. Because when the church is a shelter from the storm, it's a place of safety and welcome and where people can come to be healed and come to be loved and come to be listened to. When it's about authority and power, no one ever talks about the storm. No one ever uh, finds safety in the storm. And it just becomes about individuals and it becomes about, it doesn't come about community. And so vulnerability is very important um, for us as a gift in the church. And I really encourage you to be vulnerable and it's hard, very hard for me to do that. And it might be very hard for you to do that. But I found that vulnerability is very different to transparency. Transparency is allowing people to see in but vulnerability is allowing people to speak into your life. And for me, allowing people to speak in was a huge part of changing my mode of leadership into one which I hope is less about control and more about servitude, humility, and acceptance. And transparency is not emotional manipulation or it's not oversharing. And I've been reading this book which I found really helpful about uh, transparency and the importance, our vulnerability and the importance of uh, being okay with our weakness and trusting God with it. It's called Strong and Weak by Andy Crouch. And he says this because he, he says vulnerability unfortunately has been used as a tool of manipulation as opposed to a, a way of inviting people into deeper community. He says this, we live in an age of oversharing where celebrities disclose all kinds of seemingly shameful or incriminating details of their lives to build their brand and touch the hearts of their followers in order to self-promote. When someone can acquire more fame, wealth, and significant cultural power by appearing vulnerable on screen, it becomes less about the exposure that human beings fear and more about exposure that every, uh, every would-be celebrity needs a currency of power 
not of loss. But a true biblical definition of vulnerability is much deeper. It requires risk and loss of identity, not afraid to expose our deepest fears. And so I think this section of scripture is at its very essence encouraging us to be vulnerable and to be honest with each other in the storms of life and encouraging us to press into that space and not being embarrassed by it. And I'd like us to go back into, into some worship now. And one of the things which I'd like us to focus on and really have some time of prayer, um, I, are you, I, I hope that story has related to you uh, um, and uh, you know, I think one of the things that stop us being vulnerable is fear. And perfect love casts out fear. And we all have different types of fear. And I'd love us to spend a time being honest in prayer and in worship about our own fears. And I came across a book which I found really helpful dealing with my own fear of um, being vulnerable and my own fear of uh, what people thought of me. And it was this really helpful book by a lady who is uh, a person of faith, and it's called Do It Scared, Finding the Courage to Face Your Fears, Overcome Adversity, and Create a Life of Love. And I think there's a slide for that. She talks about seven groups of people. This is a book, a New York Times bestseller, and she talks about Fear is the thing that stops us being truly vulnerable and reaching our full potential. And she essentially gets to the place where she talks about Christ. But she says, after interviewing thousands and thousands of people, she's a psychologist as well, that people are grouped into seven classes of, 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 of fear, if you like. There are procrastinators who have a huge fear of failure. There are the rule follower who is fear of making wrong decision contrary to the rules. There is people pleaser, fear of being judged and about disappointing others. Outcast, the fear of rejection. The self-doubter, fear of not being good enough. The excuse maker, the fear of conflict. And all of us have a sense of fear, and lastly, the pessimist, fear of adversity and hardship. And I'd love us to have a time now where we are honest with our own fears. Now, I have to admit, I was really petrified in sharing that story. And it's something I've wanted to do in front of the church for years. Um, but my own fear with what I'm going through is when I talk about it, it gets louder. And so I haven't, but I, the more I face into it, I guess the more I can, I can give it up to God. And so I would encourage us to to be honest now with this list and our own fears, and I'd love us to continue in some time of worship. And so what we're going to do is I've picked some songs that allow us to, to worship and offer our fear and be vulnerable towards God, and then I've asked some people to pray with folk, and then uh, we're going to have some space where we can pray and listen and uh, receive from God. So let's just take a moment. Um, <coughs> And that, that's, yeah. Yeah, let's take a moment.
Lord, I thank you so much for what you've done in my life. Um, I thank you, God, for what you're doing in our lives, and I thank you that you've reduced hugely in my life um, just the things that hold me back. And I pray for us, Lord, that we can be open with our vulnerability and that we can be like the sailors in the sea and be okay to cry out if we need help. We can be okay to be a community where we aren't afraid of that. And I thank you you've healed me and I thank you that you've, you're healing me and working through me. And I just pray as we sing these songs about being still and being out in the oceans and as we pray together, I just really pray your spirit will move and we just give you this time, give you our community, we give you your word and we thank you that you're in our midst. So as the guys sing, feel free to stand or sit and then in a few moments we're going to come back and offer some prayer and uh, we'll see what God wants to do in that space.